Welcome, my name is Pastor Scotty Bockhaus, and we thank you for taking some time to listen to some audio recordings from the pulpit of the Riverview Baptist Church. Our desire is to show the Lord high, holy, and lifted up, as well as try to be a blessing to those through the Word of God. Please enjoy this message, and we pray that it will be a blessing to your life. your copy of the Word of God and turn with me to the book of 1 Corinthians and chapter number 7. The book of 1 Corinthians and chapter number 7. As we're continuing to walk through the book of 1 Corinthians, we're finding a church that is, has lots of problems and lots of issues that we've already witnessed as the Apostle Paul is taking pen to paper with the inspiration of the Holy Spirit that he's pointed out the root problem in the church, and that is pride. And that pride is the center of all the things that are going on. That the Corinthian church is puffed up. That word puffed up carries the idea of pride. And we know that knowledge puffeth up. And that they think that they are super spiritual Christians. However, in the midst of the super spiritual Christians, they have divisions and contentions among them. And it's not just different factions, but those those factions are actually against each other to the place where there's almost brawls in the parking lot. There are that much contention with them. That you have people who are taking each other to court and suing each other. On top of that, you've got other problems. You have a man in the church who is actually having un correct relations with his stepmother and it's blatant and it's obvious and on top of that as if that wasn't enough you have people who have think it is all right and it is natural for them to go out and go to prostitutes now all of chapter one through six has been where the apostle paul is answering what he has heard starting in chapter seven he is going to answer a question that the Corinthian church had wrote to him. Apostle Paul, we have something we want to tell you. We've got a question for you. Tell us what you think. And he's going to tell them what they think. And if you don't mind, let's look at chapter number 7. 1 Corinthians chapter number 7, 40 verses. And let's read through it and then we'll go back and see the principles we find in here. 1 Corinthians chapter number 7 and notice with me in verse 1. Now concerning the things whereof ye wrote unto me, it is good for a man not to touch a woman. Nevertheless, to avoid fornication, let every man have his own wife, and every woman her own husband. Let the man render unto the wife due benevolence, and likewise also the wife unto the husband. The wife hath not power of her own body, but the husband. And likewise also the husband hath not power over his own body, but the wife, defraud ye not one with, uh, one the other, except it be with consent for a time that ye may give yourselves to fasting and to prayer and come again uh, together again, that Satan tempt you not for your inconsistency. But I speak this by permission and not of commandment, for I would that all men were even as myself. But every man hath his proper gift of God, one after this manner and another after that. I say, therefore, to the unmarried and widows, it is good for them if they abide even as I. But if they cannot contain, let them marry, for it is better to marry than to burn. And unto the married I command, yet not I, but the Lord, let not the wife depart from her husband. But... And if she depart, let her remain unmarried or let her be reconciled to her husband and let not the husband put away his wife. But to the rest speak I, not the Lord. If any brother hath a wife that believeth not and she be pleased to dwell with him, let him not put her away. And the woman which hath a husband that believeth not, and if he is pleased to dwell with her, let her not leave him. For the unbelieving husband is sanctified by the wife, and the unbelieving wife is sanctified by the husband. Else 
were your children unclean, but now they are holy. But if the unbelieving depart, let him depart. A brother or sister is not under bondage in such cases, but God hath called us to peace. For what knoweth thou, O wife, whether thou shalt save thy husband? Or how knowest thou, O man, whether thou shalt save thy wife? But as God hath distributed to every man, as the Lord hath called every one, so let him walk. And so ordain I in all churches. Is any man called being circumcised? Let him be not become circumcised. Is any called in uncircumcision? Let him not be circumcised. Circumcision is nothing. And uncircumcision is nothing. But the keeping of the commandments of God. Let every man abide in the same calling wherein he was called. Are thou called being a servant? Care not for it. But if thou beest made free, use it rather. For he that is called in the Lord, being a servant, is the Lord's freeman. Likewise, also he that is called, being free, is Christ's servant. Ye are bought with a price. Be ye not the servants of men. Brethren, let every man wherein he is called, therefore abide with God. Now concerning virgins, I have no commandment of the Lord, yet I give my judgment as one that obtaineth mercy of the Lord to be faithful. I suppose, therefore, that this is good for the present distress. I say that it is good for a man so to be. Art thou bound unto a wife? Seek not to be loosed. Art thou loosed from a wife? Seek not a wife. But, and if thou marry, thou hast not sinned. And if a virgin marry, she hath not sinned. Nevertheless, such shall have trouble in the flesh, but I spare you. But this I say, brethren, the time is short, and it remaineth that both they that have wives be as though they had none. And they that weep as though they weep not, and they that rejoice as though they rejoice not, and they that buy as though they possess not, and they that use the world and not abusing it, for the fashion of this world passeth away. But I would have you without carefulness. He that is unmarried careth for the things that belongeth to the Lord. How may he please the Lord? But he that marrieth careth for the things that are of the world. How can he please his wife? There is a difference also between a wife and a virgin. The unmarried woman careth for the things of the Lord, that she may be holy both in body and in spirit. But she that is married careth for the things of the world, how she may please her husband. And this I speak for your own profit, not that I may cast a snare upon you, but for that which is comely, that ye may attend upon the Lord without distraction. But if any think that he behaveth himself uncomely towards his virgin, if she pass the flower of her age and need so require, let him do what he will, he sinneth not. Let them marry. Nevertheless, he that standeth steadfastly in his heart, having no necessity, but hath power over his own will, and hath so decreed in his heart that he will keep his virgin, doeth well. He that giveth her in marriage doeth well, but he that giveth her not in marriage doeth better. A wife is bound by the law as long as her husband liveth. But if her husband be dead, she is at liberty to be married to whom she will, only in the Lord. But she is happier if she so abide after my judgment, and I think that I have the Spirit of the Lord. And if you don't mind, as we have a very complex passage that we want to discern for you, if you're in the habit of marking things in your Bible, mark a phrase that we find at the very beginning of 1 Corinthians in chapter number 7. The book of 1 Corinthians chapter number 7, and notice with me, if you don't mind, in verse number 2, where it says, let every man have his own wife. Let every man have his own wife. And with the Lord's help, we're going to untangle and discern the Apostle Paul's giving this instruction to the church of Corinth and see how it ties in and how it applies to us. Then we're going to see something special towards the end about how you can find God's will for yourself using the principles we find in this passage. 
So plenty of reasons to pay attention. If you don't mind, let's go to the Lord together and let's pray. Dear Heavenly Father, thank you again for you being a wonderful God. And as we come to you, we're just asking that you would give us great mercy. That you would give us great discernment. That you would give us great wisdom from your precious spirit. To be able to clearly see this passage, understand this passage, and apply this passage. That we know that we have people at different walks of life, different stages of life, different uh, places within their life. And yet, all of us can find something in this passage to apply. That you would help people to have spiritual discernment that they can see their place, their thing. That we could strengthen up marriages, that we could strengthen up your work. That we could watch you be glorified in all of these areas that are discussed. Again, Lord, with such a topic as this, I dare not trust my own. So once again, I surrender myself to you. Ask that you fill me with your Holy Spirit and that you would do something beyond even our comprehension tonight because we trust you in your word. And in Jesus' name we pray. Amen. If you had the opportunity to write a letter to the Apostle Paul to ask any question you want, what would your question be? If you had the privilege to have access to the great Apostle Paul and you could ask him anything that you wanted, what would you ask? Now, as we look at the context of the church of Corinth, they had plenty of things to ask. They could have said, you know, Paul, we're having problems with divisions in the church. Um, uh, can you give us some advice? I, you, know, you know, we don't want to bring it up, but it has to be dealt with. Paul, we've got people in the church that are suing each other. I just, can you give us some help with this? Paul, we've got a guy that, you know, we really like him, but, you know, he's doing wrong and it's been a bad reputation. Uh, what should we do about him? Paul? We've got people that have decided to go to houses of ill reproof. How do we deal with this? You know, there was a lot of questions they could have asked. And we're going to cover even more subjects of the book of 1 Corinthians of things that are going wrong. But if you had a subject, had an opportunity to write the Apostle Paul a question and know that he was going to answer, what would you give him? Well, the church of Corinth and their brilliance and their spirituality, they gave a question. Paul? We came up with a philosophy. And we want to let you know what you think about this. So, Paul, me, us being as spiritual as we truly are, we've come up to the idea that a man shouldn't touch his wife anymore. Meaning that he should not have a physical relationship with his wife. Because we're so spiritual and we, we really want to be God. And, you know, so we're going to just not physically touch our wife anymore so we can be holy in body. How, doesn't that sound great, Paul? Could you imagine the Apostle Paul getting this letter and, and the super spiritual Corinthians who, who have all these problems going on, that was the question. Paul, you know, it was kind of like a, a question where you ask where you're bragging. Paul, we want to show you how spiritual we are. We've come to the idea that in order to serve God, I know we're married, but we went to our wives and say, honey, we're choosing God rather than you. And so I know there's going to be some lonely nights and I know that you have physical needs, but you know, I'm just not going to touch you anymore because I want to be super spiritual. Can you imagine the apostle Paul getting this and going, what in the world am I reading? What? is this question. What do I do? I can imagine the apostle Paul getting this and being thankful that he didn't have to answer a text and had 30 seconds to respond <laughs> because I'm positive. He's sitting there. Okay, God, um, I'm going to set this down and Lord, you're, what do I tell these folks? I mean, clearly by their own letter, they are out of their mind. I, there's nothing spiritual about this whatsoever. What do I tell them? And I'm sure that when he came to this part, he's praying. He's probably, you know, my mind's eye, just my own opinion, my own thing. But he's probably stalling saying, what in the world do I tell him? 
well, let's go ahead and correct this thing here and tell them they're puffed up and kind of lead into this. But now I've got to answer the question. They, I told them whatever they want. <sighs> so what he does is he uses this as a backdrop, their spiritual question to go ahead and take 40 verses to give them correct instruction from their brilliant deduction here. And if you don't mind, let's just walk through and see how the Apostle Paul answers this question, but also see kind of some things he is teaching here. And again, I want to use this as a backdrop at the end to address a principle that we can discern about how to find God's will for your life. So with that being said, let's start here. Instructions concerning those that are married. Instructions concerning those who are married. He starts off by giving some general instructions. So the apostle Paul, pen and paper in hand, prayed up, probably lots of prayer. Says, all right, now it's time, Holy Spirit, guide us, give me direction. All right, guys, let's answer their stupid question. And it was a stupid question. Whoever came up with this brilliant thing. Now, this is the church of Corinth that sent this letter. This wasn't an individual. They sent this letter. That means they had to have a discussion. <laughs> hey, you know what? We've been talking about this and getting together. And we've kind of agreed together. We're not touching our wives anymore. And you agree and you agree and you agree. Hey, you know what? Let's, uh, let's go talk to Paul and get his approval on this. I mean, so they had a discussion about this. This is something that the church men had kind of agreed together. We're so spiritual, we don't even have to touch our wives anymore. Okie dokie. So the apostle Paul begins to write this letter and begins to start giving some general instructions concerning marriage. Now concerning the things whereof ye wrote to me. Now again, I'm just showing that they wrote a letter to Paul. He got this and says, all right, well, let's do something about this. It is good for a man not to touch a woman. Let me pause here. There are some people who don't read their Bible thoroughly that use that as an example of that when people are dating not to touch each other. There are other principles in the Bible you can pull from, but this is not one you can. This is their super spiritual question and it's foolish, meaning that a man have, has a wife and he came up with the idea that he's not going to touch her anymore. All right, now I understand we're in a mixed audience, but let me, with a nodding ahead, you understand what I mean by touching. Okay, I don't have to. I, we need to make sure that we have a good discerning on this, okay? Okay. It is good for a man not to touch a woman. Now the Paul begins to go, nevertheless, to avoid fornication. Let every man have his own wife and every woman have her own husband. So he says, all right, what you just said was foolish. Now he's being nice about it. He says, listen, we want to avoid fornication. I just talked about in the last letter or last chapter, flee fornication. Well, we don't need to set up a temptation for fornication. So that way there's no temptation for fornication. Every man have his own wife and every wife her own husband. Verse number three, let her, the husband, render unto his wife due benevolence and likewise the wife unto the husband. Now, verse number three is specifically saying the husband has a responsibility to meet the needs of the wife and the wife has the responsibility to meet the needs of the husband. That's what it's doing. Now, again, Paul is much more intelligent than me. I am doing my best to give discerning talk in a mixed audience. The Apostle Paul has more of a language to use than I am and smarter than I and with the Holy Spirit's help, but he's using the word benevolence. He's trying to say, all right, I want you to understand we're not trying to be crude. We're not trying to be base, but I'm trying to let you know, husbands, you have a responsibility to your wives. Wives, you have a responsibility to your husbands. He goes on in verse number four. The wife hath not power over her own body. Some liberal just passed out. <laughs> the wife hath not power over her own body, but the husband. And likewise, also the husband hath not power over his own body, but the wife. So this carries with it the idea as a command from God that when two people are married, there is an expectation that the other meet the needs. 
carrying the idea that if the husband who has real physical needs, the wife doesn't have the freedom to say no. Same way when the wife has needs. The husband doesn't have the freedom to say no. Why? Remember, all of this goes back to the beginning where it says, in order to avoid fornication. Now, we pause here because in churches like ours, we'll have a message like we had this morning, flee fornication, flee fornication. And there's a great emphasis, don't touch a woman, don't look at a guy, don't look at... And we do that, and so teenagers growing up in a church like this have in mind that I'm never to touch a guy ever, 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 ever. And one day they get married, say, I do. And then the problem is, is that she's hiding in the bathroom because she can't come out because she doesn't know what to do now. Okay. The idea is that in the context of marriage, it is beautiful and wonderful and there should be touching. All right, again, I'm trying to speak in a mixed audience. So I'm going to need some at least acknowledgement that you understand a little bit because uh, I don't want to have to dip down a little bit and, you know, describe, okay? But we understand. But you know, there are a lot of kids who grow up who are not taught that the S word is a wonderful thing in its context and it should be enjoyed and it's not something where you hide. It should be something wonderful in the context of marriage and that kids need to be prepared for it in the context of marriage because there's a biblical responsibility. It is something, if you want the relationship to go well, both the husband and the wife understand there's a responsibility here and sometimes people get the idea because they're not taught. They don't know things work. They don't know if I just touch fingers and then all of a sudden a baby happens or, or uh, we just kiss lips and all of a sudden magic happens and that's it. Okay, smile and nod. We're not going to get more details. But you understand some kids who grow up in a place where don't touch, don't touch, don't touch. Now they're kind of lost. That's why <laughs> we're not removing all the teenagers from this here tonight. Because teenagers, you're going to have a responsibility that when you say, I do, you have also given up, I know that people are going to hate this, rights to your own body, that you have a responsibility to fulfill needs to your mate. This is Bible. And it's necessary. Verse number five, defraud. Well, that's a powerful statement. Defraud. Defraud. Defraud not one with the other. Now that's a powerful word to defraud. This carries the idea that it's not a light thing for a partner to hold out on the other, that you're stealing from them. We know what the word fraud is. You can actually steal from your partner something that belongs to them by purposely withholding and saying no. Now, we make jokes about it in today's society. I'm sorry, I've got a headache. <sighs> you know, that carries with the idea you're stealing from your partner and you don't have the responsibility for it. Now, it does give in verse number five, defraud not one with the other, except it be with consent. That means both parties agree together to those terms. But notice, for a time, not permanently, that you may give yourselves to fasting and prayer and come together again. Meaning that, listen, honey, we really need to get God's will on this. And so I want us to not be distracted and uh, you pray and you pray. And after we've spent some time praying, we'll come back again and we could resume touching. But it's only for a time. But the purpose is to come back again, not a permanent siesta. Okay. Not a permanent uh, 10 year drought, <laughs> but they have a responsibility. Now this stuff is not taught anymore. People like, I didn't even know this is in the Bible, but God knows what he's doing because he created man and he created woman and he knows how we work and he knows what happens and knows in the context of marriage that it's proper and good and necessary. And we're thankful for it. 
But notice in verse 5 at the end of it. Defraud ye not one with another, except it be consent for a time. Not permanently, but for a time. That we may give yourselves to fasting and prayer and come together again. Then notice this. That Satan tempt you not for your inconsistency. What happens when a husband and wife don't meet together regularly? It opens it up for fornication, for extracurricular activities, for pornography, for infidelity. It carries the idea that there should be a satisfaction between a husband and wife so they don't have to be tempted to go to an outside source to satisfy a natural physical need in their body. I know we're speaking to the mixed audience and people said, I never thought I heard this in a church. This is like opposite of what you would ever, but it's Bible. It's next up. We've got to hit it. But you understand because it's not taught, there are some marriages that don't function correctly and it opens up the door for Satan to work. And we don't want Satan to work in marriages. We already have enough satanic attacks, spiritual attacks within a family that we have to be taught this. Now, again, We have teenagers that one day hope to be married. Don't touch until you're married. But when you're married, it's wonderful in its context. It should be enjoyed. And there is a responsibility one to another. You said, well, this is hard to listen to. Yeah, well, imagine trying to preach it. (laughs) But it's necessary. And it has to be taught because this is what the Bible said. And it, we understand the context of it to flee fornication, to avoid fornication, not to get Satan's able to work within marriages to help destroy marriages. And as in the case of the church of Corinth to destroy the church from within because these things are not being done correctly. And we have to see what the Bible clearly says. Now in verse number six, Paul now switches gears. He says, all right, what I just said before about defraud not, that's law, that's canon, that's Bible, this is God's will. But in verse number six, he says, now I'm going to give you some of my own advice. It's not Bible, it's not a new commandment. The, what I just gave you before, that, that's settled, that, that's non-negotiable. A husband and wife have responsibilities to another. But he says, I'm giving you general possibilities since you opened it up with the question that we want to be super spiritual, so I'm not going to touch my wife anymore. He says, all right, well, let's kind of address and give a principle here, still dealing with the idea. Verse number six, but I speak this by permission and not by commandment. He says, I'm going to be honest with you. I'm going to give you my opinion. I believe I have permission of God. I believe I'm led by God, but it's not commandment scripture, meaning that if you disobey my advice, here, you're not breaking, uh, you're not sinning, you're just violating advice. But notice what he says in verse number seven. He says, for I would that all men were as myself. Now, what is he speaking about? Paul at this time is single. And he says, you know, I would that people, he says, I'm not speaking by commandment, but I'm saying, by it, by a, a thing that people were single. He says, why? But every man hath his proper gift of God, one after this manner and another after this. Paul recognizes that he says, listen, not everyone is equipped to be single. There are some people who are not equipped to be single. There are some people that need to get married. And sometimes we make commentary. So-and-so needs a wife and they need a wife badly. Not just because of physical needs, just because they need someone to help take care of them. They need a wife. They need one. <laughs> they need a wife. There are some people who have to have a wife. There are some people necessary. There are some people who it is God's will for them to not to marry. God has different opportunities, different things, and he's made us in different ways. And he said, listen, if I had my choice, we'd all be serving God 100% with all of our strength. But not all of you are equipped that way. Not That's not God's will for everyone. This is why he's saying I'm speaking with God's permission, not God's commandment. Verse number eight. And I say, therefore, to the unmarried and the widows, it is good for them if they abide such as I, meaning single. He says, listen, for the unmarried people and the widows, you have an opportunity to serve God. And, you know, if you have the chance just to give your life to serving God, wonderful, great. 
Verse number nine, but if they cannot contain, let them marry for it is them better to marry to burn. He says, I recognize there are some people not equipped for this. He says, I'm not trying to set up a law that if you're going to be a preacher, you can't get married. We already seen in the Catholic church that doesn't work. He says, the idea is, is that if you're able to devote all of your energies to serve God, you should. But not everyone's set for that. And it's better for them to get married than to lose their testimony. And so he says, I'm speaking by my permission. I'm speaking with God's permission, not a commandment. I'm not telling everyone that you have to be nuns and you have to be priests and you have to be celibate rest of your life. He says, if you can, and you could serve all of it, wonderful. If you can't, no big deal. And you need to follow what God has for you. For example, some teenage girl is probably looking for her marriage day. And she can't wait till she gets married. And she sees the altar and the dress and the bridesmaid and everything that's set up. And it's her dream to be married. Praise the Lord. Wonderful. There's nothing wrong with that. There may be some other teenage girl that can't even imagine sharing the same house with anyone, much less a husband. Not for me, whatever else. Wonderful. God did not make everyone to be married and he didn't make everyone to be single. You find God's will for yourself. But if you have are single, use your energies for the Lord and use it wisely. He goes on and says, all right, now let's switch the subjects. We talked about marriage and talked about in general. Well, as we're still talking about marriage, let's deal with the subject of divorce. How does this work within it? Notice with me in verse number 10. And unto the married I command, yet not I, but the Lord. Notice he goes back to commandment. He says, here's God's command. Then, here's my opinion. Now he's going back to God's command. It's not optional. It's not his thoughts. This is Bible now. Verse number 10. But unto the Mary I command, yet not I, but the Lord, let not the wife depart from her husband. He says, all right, God's will is people not to get divorced. That's God's will. We know that not everyone follows God's will. So notice verse 11. But, and if she depart, let her remain unmarried or be reconciled unto her husband and let not the husband put away his wife. He says, listen, it's not God's will for anyone to get divorced. However, if they do get divorced, they need to remain unmarried. Unless something happens where they can reconcile themselves together. But he says, this is Bible. This is God's command. This is no longer Paul saying this is God's commandment. God's will is for everyone to stay married. But if they get divorced, that they are to stay unmarried. Now, I know that goes against popular culture, but I've been going against popular culture all day today. Why bother them now? We're just seeing what the Bible has to say. Notice as it goes on in verse number 12. But to the rest speak I, not the Lord. So he goes back to his opinion. (laughs) If any brother hath a wife that believeth not, and she be pleased to dwell with him, let her not put her away. So he goes and says, listen, here's a scenario. If a man is saved and his wife is unsaved, that's not grounds for divorce. If she wants to stay married, let him stay married. (laughs) Now, again, the the super spiritual Corinthians are having an idea that if someone gets saved and wants to follow God and his wife isn't saved, she's just baggage, just, you know, cut her loose. Paul says, let's not do that. If she wants to stay married, even though he's saved, she's not, let him stay. Let him be married. They're already married. Let's not rip them apart. He says, verse number 13, and the woman that hath a husband that believeth not, if he believe." Be pleased to dwell with her, let her not leave him. For the unbelieving husband is sanctified by the wife, and the unbelieving wife is sanctified by the husband. Else were your children unclean, but now they are unholy. But if the unbelieving depart, let him depart. If a brother or sister is not under bondage in such cases, but God has called us to his peace. Now he says, listen, while you're together, God is able to work, and your kids can get saved. God can still work in your families. I mean, they're not. Uh, rejected of God because you have an unbelieving parent, an unbelieving parent. 
He says, but if there's a separation, well, that's how it goes. Still don't get remarried, but let it happen rather than having strife in the house. If two people are fighting and the lady's just determined and she wants to go, all right, fine, go. Because she's not going to get saved as long as she feels like she's in bondage. Does that make sense? We're hoping for reconciliation later. But notice if you don't mind, verse 16. For what knowest thou, O wife, whether thou shalt save thy husband? Or knowest thou, O man, whether thou shalt save thy wife? He goes up here and says there's an influence on the family. That what can happen is that why shouldn't you get divorced? Because it could be an idea that the husband who's saved can eventually see his wife get saved. Praise the Lord! Or as more is common, the wife is saved and the husband's not. And eventually the husband gets saved. Because the influence as she's changing and growing and being obedient to the Lord. That she said, the husband says there's something to it. He gets saved. You understand? We're hoping that they both get saved and they both serve God together. That's the goal. And so let's not do anything that's going to disrupt them from getting saved. Notice as we continue to go on, still talking about the things going on. He gives a principle in verse number 17. But as God has distributed every man, the Lord hath called every one, let him walk. And so I ordain in all churches, meaning that you follow God's will, let's trust God. Verse 18, if a man's being called circumcised, let him not be circumcised. He's saying, you know, you follow God's will. And these are the principles given here. We're going to come back to these in just a second. But he's saying that you need to follow God's will. And God has a good and perfect and acceptable will for all of our lives. Find God's will and obey it. Trust him to work. That's in regards of marriage, serving God, employment. We find God's will and do that. He comes back to the subject. He's been talking about those who are married and say, let's talk about things in general. Let's talk about the subject of divorce. Then he turns his attention to those who are single. Notice, if you don't mind, in verse number 25, as he begins to address those who are single. Now concerning virgins, I have no commandment of the Lord, yet I give my judgment. Notice once again, the Apostle Paul says, I'm not speaking because of thus saith the Lord. I'm giving advice. I'm giving my judgment, my, my opinion based off the Bible and permission of the Lord. Now, again, notice how Paul is being honest here. He's saying, this is my opinion. This is my judgment. This is my wisdom I'm giving to you. Not commandments, not thus saith the Lord. Now concerning virgins, I have no commandment of the Lord, yet I give my judgment as one that obtained mercy of the Lord to be faithful. I suppose, therefore, that it is good for the present distress that I say it is good for a man so to be. Now, evidently, the church had asked Paul to give a ruling not only about married women, men and women, but about single women. He, he, they wrote and said, Paul... You need to command all of the ladies not to get married. Well, that's horrible. I have a daughter that would protest at that one. You're never to get married. Wait a second. I mean, a lot of young girls, that's their dream. They dream about their wedding, you know, and to, to break that dream. You're never to get married. Uh, there might be a little rebellion in someone's heart after that. And so Paul said, I'm not going to give a commandment over that. I'm going to say, listen, if you have the opportunity to use your life to serve the Lord, serve the Lord. But if you're not going to be able to contain, if God's will for you to get married to someone, get married. I'm not going to make a commandment saying, bless God, if you're single, that's where you stay. That's horrible. And that, that, that would be a discouragement to a lot of people. He goes on and gives this. <laughs> He says in verse 27, he gives a principle. Listen, if you're to be married, stay married. Art thou bound to a wife? Seek not to be loosed. Art thou loosed from a wife? Seek not a wife. He's sitting there. If you're married, strive to stay married. If you're not married, then be content not to be married. But, and if thou marry, thou hasn't sinned. If a virgin marry, she has not sinned. Meaning that if someone who's single and has been trying to serve the Lord happens to find Mr. Right one day and has God's will on it, let him get married. Praise the Lord. They could serve God together. <clears throat> now, again, this is not common preaching. 
It's not the fun amen preaching, but it's practical every day. This is where we live at because everyone in here is either married or single, right? Yes. That's our choices. You're either married or single. So that means you're, you're somewhere in here. You make your marriage and you both serve God together. Or if you're single, serve God while you have until he gives you something else in his will. Pretty simple. Verse number 29. But this I say unto you. Now let's go back to verse 28. But and if thou marry, thou hast not sinned. If a virgin marry, she has not sinned. Nevertheless, such shall have trouble in the flesh. But I spare you. Verse number 29. But this I say, brethren, the time is short, and it remaineth that both they that have wives be as though they had none, and they that weep as though they have weeped not, and those that rejoice as though they rejoice not, and they that buy as though they possess not, that they may use this world and not abusing it for the fashion of this world passeth away. He goes and says, listen, no matter what stage you're in, realize that time is short, and you only have a small amount of time to serve God. Don't waste it. Don't be a single person who says, one day I'm going to be married. And when I get married, then I'll serve God. Serve God now. Don't be a married person that looks at his wife and says, you know what? You keep me from serving God. Don't do that. Use the opportunity you have because we have time is short. We don't know whether Jesus comes back or death hits us in old age. Use your time now to serve God. He goes on in verse number 32. We see, <clears throat> but... I would have you without carefulness. He that is unmarried cared for the things that belong to the Lord. How may he please the Lord? Now he gives a common principle, one that we understand. If you're single, you have a lot of freedom to follow God, whatever he'd have you to do. You don't have a lot of the obligations, a lot of things. You have more freedom to serve God. Verse number 33, but he that married careth for the things that are of the world, how he may please the wife. Now, verse number 33 is not a looking down. It's not something, oh, I'm so sorry that you're married. It's a practical thing. A husband has a responsibility to make sure his wife is taken care of. Food, clothing, shelter. You know, women are created that they need security. And he has a responsibility to make sure that she feels secure. In whatever area. I'm not going to ask you to raise your hand. But ladies we may be like a small little nod. Isn't security a big deal to you guys? Absolutely. And so husbands. You can't just say wife. <laughs> you're on your own. I'm going to go follow after God. And I'll be back eventually. Good luck. And you know I'm going to go follow God. I'm going to go on the mission trips. And I'll come back every couple of years just to check on. No you have a responsibility to make sure she's taken care of. Food, clothing, shelter, those type of things. It doesn't mean he doesn't serve God. It just means that he has other obligations that have to be taken care of. That's kind of the whole center of Paul's thing here. He recognizes if you're single, you have more freedom to serve God at that point in time. However, if you're married, you can't neglect your responsibilities, whether it's physically taking care of her or materially taking care of her. You have the responsibility, and yes, that does limit you. That means God-given priorities never conflict. God-given priorities never conflict. I'm a pastor of a church. However, I'm still a husband. I'm a pastor of a church, but I'm still a father. That means that if my kids need me and my attention, it is not neglecting God's will if I pay attention to them. If my wife needs my attention, I am not neglecting her if I pay attention to her and not study my Bible 24-7. I'm being facetious, but you understand what I mean. That means it is not against my wife. Uh, it is not outside of her realm of asking that if we have a date together that I don't have my phone at the table. Because she deserves my entire attention. She's in the nursery, so don't tell her I said that. <laughs> but you know, she has every right as my wife to say, honey, you're not going to work. You're not going to answer phone. You're not going to answer text. You're not going to answer email. That unless someone is dying, 
you could ignore the phone for one day. Is that too much to ask for? Not at all. Is that a reasonable ask? Absolutely. Is it against God's will? No. God-given priorities never conflict. Do I have lots of things to do? Yes. But God-given priorities never conflict. If my kids say, Dad, I want to spend some time with you. Can you arrange some time? Yes, I sh- that should be the answer. And I should do what it, my kids are not in the way of me serving God. God given priorities, never conflict. However, being married, I do have priorities. Does that make sense? And I can't just say, well, husband, I'm no longer going to see you again. Or wife, I'm not going to see you again. I'll check up. I'll write you a postcard. Doesn't work that way. Husbands and wives have responsibilities one to another. Single folks have more freedom no matter where you're at. Find God's will and serve God where you're at. Again, Paul is not saying that married people are are worse off. All right? We understand that. Some people like to try to twist Paul's words to say that. He's not saying that. He's just saying you're at different stages and you have different abilities and different availabilities to give to the Lord. But you can't neglect your other responsibilities. Notice as he goes on. He says, verse number 33, but he that married careth for the things that are of the world, how he may please his wife. And there is a difference between a wife and a virgin. The unmarried woman careth for the things of the Lord, that she may be holy both in body and spirit. But she that is married careth for the things of the world, how she may please her husband. Now it goes to a woman, a lady. If a lady is single, she has the opportunity to both dedicate her body and her spirit for God and his use. But if she's married, it doesn't make her worse off, but it says that she has priorities to the things at home. Doesn't mean she can't serve God, but it means that God-given priorities never conflict, but she has other priorities as well. And she has to take care of them. Now we say this because, and you may say, well, this sounds basic, but it's out of order. I know a famous evangelist who once told his kids and said, I'm sorry, I'm going to have to neglect you because God sent me to save America. I'm going to have to not be here to raise you and whatnot. By the way, some of his kids failed. He failed because he didn't do his homework. God-given priorities never conflict. We have to do our, uh, we have to take care of our priorities. We have to make sure that all these things are taken care of, not to the neglect of one to the other. Notice as we go on, verse number 35, and this I speak for your own profit, that I may cast a snare upon you, but for that which is comely, that you may attend upon the Lord without distraction. Now he said, I'm giving this to your own profit, that We don't want marriages to fall apart because remember, marriages are the building block of society and they're the building block of churches. You want a strong church, you need to have strong homes. You want a strong society, you need strong homes. Those things need to be taken care of. We can't neglect the home in order to serve God. It doesn't work that way. The the people in Corinth, you think that they have a great testimony by visiting prostitutes? Not at all. Do you think some of that could have been caused because they came up with this idea that they're not touching their wives? Absolutely. Now the whole thing's falling apart. If they would have taken care of their homework, then some of these things would have been a non-issue. We just need to make sure that things are taken care of at home. And by the way, the priority in the context is that means physical relations as well as emotional and security things need to be taken care of. All of it. Husbands, take care of your wives. Wives, take care of your husbands. But those who are single, you have freedom to follow after God and to use it for the Lord. Now he goes on and continues with this. And uh, gives permission for uh, virgins to marry for those who are single. And verse number 39, he now switches to the idea of of the widow, those who are widows. Verse number 39, the wife is bound by the law as long as her husband liveth. But if her husband be dead, she is at liberty to be married in whom she will only in the Lord. Now it gives a principle that we find other places in the Bible that if two people get divorced, 
she is not to be remarried unless the husband dies. And if the husband dies, she is now free to marry again. <laughs> or if, a, if two people are married and he dies, she is free to marry again. She's not doing anything wrong. But happier is she if she so abide after my judgment. And I think that I have the spirit of God. So he goes on and gives this advice and it's not demanded that maybe she could consider using all of her strength and life and health that she has left to serve God. All right, so this is the backdrop. And here's just the basic tenet. This, the church of Corinth, thinking they were super spiritual, were bragging about how spiritual they are. Paul, we want to let you know that we decided we're not going to touch our wives anymore. You ever think about what the wives thought about this decision? Whatever it was, this is their brilliant plan. Paul says, all right, well, let's fix this and gives the principle that if you're married, be married and try to serve the Lord. If you're single, be single, try to serve the Lord. Find God's will in the matter and do that. Now, he talks about, and as I've been giving, it's talked quite a bit about finding God's will. So if you don't mind, as we use this as a backdrop, let's see one last thing, principles governing Paul's instructions. How do we find God's will for our life? What are some principles that we find? Now, all of that was backdrop. Now let's go to a different subject using this here. Because Paul did quite a bit saying, this is God's command. This is my opinion. This is God's command. This is my godly advice. This is God's command. This is how I want to help you. So with that, let's learn a little bit about finding God's will for our own lives. First of all, as we see here, here's some principles to find God's will for your life. As God has called each one, so let him walk. Notice with me in verse 17. I told you we'd come back to this passage. But as God had distributed to every man, as the Lord hath called every one, so let him walk. And so ordain I in the churches. Is any man called being circumcised? Let him not be uncircumcised. Is any man called in circumcision? Let him be in circumcision. Now understand that circumcision is a special surgery for men to show that they're dedicated to the Lord. It is something set apart specifically for the Hebrew people. And God says, listen, now this is an evasive surgery for guys. If God called you to have this surgery, do it. If God didn't want you to have the surgery, don't do it. But you need to find God's will in the matter. You need to find God's will in this matter. Notice as he goes on in verse 20. Let every man abide in the same calling whereon he was called. God has a good and perfect and acceptable for your life. Find out what it is. But every one of you have it. So we know the principle I'm giving you is that God has a will for you. Find out what it is and do it. So how do we do this? So here's the principle. First of all, find, follow the Bible and not man's opinion. Follow the Bible and not man's opinion. Going back to verse number one. Now concerning the things whereof ye wrote unto me, it is not good for a man not to touch his wife. Nevertheless, to avoid fornication, let every man have his own wife and every woman her own husband. So here the church of Corinth came up with their own idea. Hey, Paul. I'm not going to touch my wife anymore because I'm super spiritual. Was that their opinion or was that Bible? That was their opinion. What did Paul say? He says, this is what the Bible says. That if you want to find God's good, perfect, acceptable for your life, you need to be in the Bible for yourself. Read in the Bible for yourself. Every day you need to be reading God's word, looking and searching for it. What does the Bible have to say about the matter? Remember that as you're looking for God's will, God will never go outside of his word. He will always keep himself in the confines of his word. And so if somehow you come up with some idea that's not in the Bible, it's probably not a good idea. It needs to line up with the borders, the confines, the principles found in God's word. So if we're going to find God's will for your life, first of all, follow the Bible and not man's opinion. Second of all, don't let present distress determine God's will in your life. Don't let present distress uh, determine 
God's will for your life. Verse 26. I suppose, therefore, that it is good for the present distress. I say that it is good for a man so to be. That idea of distress, some people say, well, I'm looking for God to close a door. And as soon as they hit some kind of hiccup, I guess it wasn't God's will. Distresses should not determine whether it's God's will for you or not. Don't let present distresses determine God's will. It's amazing to watch what happened. If you could allow me to use an illustration. <clears throat> I knew uh, a missionary who was supposed to go to a country, raised up support, got really close. And um, then as he's getting ready to go to the country, he said, oops, I have a church here that wants me to be their pastor. And I know they don't believe quite like I do, but I could fix them. And they voted me 100%. So when he asked my advice, I said, uh, what is God's will? Well, it must be God's will because they voted me 100%. No, 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 no. Don't let those circumstances. What is God's will? Can you find God's will? What is it? If I mean, <laughs> they could be trying to get you away from God's will. Don't, that 100% shouldn't be the circumstance that says, yes, this is it. Well, he was there three years. And the church that didn't believe like him continued not to believe like him. And became more and more aggravated with him. And you know what happened? Well, this is just way too hard. It must be God's will for me to leave. Okie dokie. So he goes and finds another church. And this church votes him in 100%. Preacher, I know it's God's will. How do you know it's God's will? They voted me in 100%. Um, didn't we just do this? Oh, I know it's God's will this time. Well, do you have anything else to base? I know it's God's will. Okay, sure. Well, wouldn't you know, three years after that, they're not quite agreeing with pastor and they're getting some hard times and whatever else. Well, it's God's will for me to quit the church and go somewhere else. You know, present distress shouldn't determine. Things will get hard. I mean, if everything... If you quit every time it got hard for you, none of us would be here. Amen. I meant just, we get hiccups all the time. We can't let present distresses determine God's will. Well, preacher, I'm not going to church anymore. Well, why not? Because you offended me. Well, what does God say about this? I don't know, but you, have, you know, people make determinations all the time. Uh, you know, <laughs> to have a, a husband and wife come into uh, to the office and look and say, preacher, we want, we want, uh, a divorce. Wait a second. Why? Because he doesn't love me anymore. Well, what does that even mean? You tell me, what, what do you think that means? Well, listen, it's just not easy anymore. So we're just going to give up. We're going to try something else. Present distress doesn't mean you quit your marriage. I meant present distress doesn't mean we choke our kids and put them under the water either. Even though you may have felt like it, right? I meant you know, those are parents. You understand that. There were some days that they just aggravated you I mean, we didn't kill our kids because, you know, they gave us a hard time one day. We don't quit things because of present distress. But you're going to be tempted because feelings are going to get involved. and It's just too hard. God's will is what you're looking for, not if it's easy or not. Present distresses, don't let present distress determine God's will in your life. We also understand a principle, follow God's will for your life, not man's will for your life. Follow God's will for your life and not man's will for your life. Verse 27. Art thou bound to a wife? Seek not to be loosed. Art thou loose from a wife? Seek not to wife. But, and if thou marry, thou hast not sinned. Now, Paul wasn't saying this is my opinion. But he said, listen, if you go against my opinion, you haven't sinned. The main thing is that you're following God's will. There's going to be lots of people who give you advice. And because you violate that advice doesn't mean that you've sinned. You need to follow what the Bible has to say. Now, what does that mean practically? Practically, that means that even though I'm your pastor, I cannot tell you God's will for your life. Now, I can open the Bible and I can show you principles and I can show you different things in there. And you make your own determination because you're going to stand before God. But I can't tell you what God's will is for your life. You should not be dependent on a person. You should learn how to find God's will for yourself. By the way, as I go back to the first point, if you're not in the Bible, you can never find God's will. 
You need to be in God's will for yourself. I can't tell you what color car to get. I know some preachers try to pretend that they can, but I can't tell you to buy a Ford rather than a Chevy. I can give you good wisdom on that matter, but I can't tell you that. I could point out principles, but I cannot tell you God's will and neither can any other person. You need to learn to find God's will for yourself. Now I could give advice and I could give logic from the Bible and I could give you principles. But when it's all said and done, you need to find God's will for your life and learn how and not be dependent. Well, because uh, this person over here told me not to go to church. I'm not going to church anymore. I've seen people do that. (laughs) We also understand live for eternity. Verse number 29 But this I say, brethren, the time is short. It remaineth that both they that have wives be as though they had none. Understand that we're not living for this life. We're living for the next. And if you're trying to find God's will, you should also be finding what's going to please him on the other side of glory. What is it that you need to do for your life in building up treasures up in heaven? If you're just focused on the here and now, you're going to miss God's will in your life. Well, all I want is a big bank account, a nice car, and a nice house, and hopefully a nice wife that goes along with it. But I I could negotiate on some. There's some people that are just looking on the now, and they're not living for eternity. And as long as they're looking at the now, they're going to be missing God's will in their life. One other principle we find here is get profitable advice. Verse number 35, and this I speak for your own profit. Not that I cast a snare upon you, but for that which is comely, that you may attend upon the Lord without distraction. He says, I'm giving this to your own profit. Seek profitable advice. What do we mean by this? You need to have biblical counselors that are going to tell you the truth. You need to have biblical counselors that are going to show you from the Bible. Again, you can go find advice from anywhere. You could go to the junkie laying on the street. Hey, man, what do you think I should do? You know, there's going to be people all around that want to give you their two cents. But you learn how to get good Bible advice, good profitable advice from trusted sources who care enough for you to tell you the truth. And allow them to help you. Now Paul is saying, I'm giving you in my advice. It's good advice for a lot of people. There could have been someone in the church of Corinth that said, you know what, I'm single. And I've been getting a lot of pressure not to be single. I, I think I should. Or maybe the opposite of, their people said, you know, I really want to get married. I really think I should get married. But everybody's been telling me, oh no, you got to be single. You got to be single. Now let's pause. Growing up, isn't there a lot of pressure one way or another? Um, teenage girls, (laughs) younger 20 girls, they feel like old maids because they're not married. Everybody else is having kids around them. And there's a lot of pressure. How come you're not married yet? How come you're not married yet? How come you're not married yet? There's a lot of advice and a lot of pressure to do something that they're maybe God's not will for them to have yet. It could be that they haven't found the person they're supposed to get married. And so they have to settle with some old schmuck that they happen to meet. Uh Right? We all know those stories. But get profitable advice. You know, for example, the idea of getting married, there should be certain people you ask before you get married. Now I'm speaking to teenagers. You're like, yay, it's finally about us. Yeah, it's kind of giving you a heads up. Let me tell you one thing about being a dad. I've got a dad of a couple girls in here. I will never fall in love with whoever you bring home. I will meet him with a shotgun and I will interrogate him and I work with the police and we'll run a background check. And a credit check. And I will do all kinds of things. I have a whole application to marry my daughter type thing. And when it's all said and done, I should be able to say, listen, this guy's a scumbag. Stay away from him. And they should say, I trust your advice. Because, you know, people can get twiddle-pated. That's a Disney word saying, you know, I'm so in love that I can't see things straight. Can people do that? They can't see what a scumbag he is. You should have people that are able to go to and say, listen, he's not good or he's really good. For people who are not my immediate family, I still care for you. And you should get your pastor's approval because pastor's not going to immediately fall in love with him either. And we want you to find God's will. 
I had to go meet like three of Leah's uh, biblical counselors before I got approval. That didn't hurt me any because I knew I was going to pass the test. <laughs> you know, <laughs> but that was good to be able to. Um... Sorry, I got a story. I will tell offline. Okay. Right after we get done praying, I'll tell you a story. Someone remind me. <laughs> but I had to go get approval. But that was good. It gave Leah a lot of safety. Except for this one story. But, um, <laughs> but it gave her confidence that she was marrying God's will. Because her biblical counselors approved. People that she trusted. People who were looking out for her. Be able to find good profitable counsel. Who cares enough for you to tell you the truth. And that will help out. I meant some of us who have a past wish we had some biblical counselors who would have slapped us and say, stop, what are you thinking? No, no. And that we would have enough sense to listen to him rather than say, but I love him. I remember teaching high school and having a debate with my high schoolers. We know what love is. Listen, I don't know any teen. Now there may be some teenager out there, but I don't know any teenager who knows what love is. They may have their own twisted sense of definition, but they don't know what love is. So they don't even know if it hit them in the face. But yeah, I love him. But he's a scumbag. I don't care. I love him. Be able to have, if you're looking for God's will, someone who tell you the truth. And that you learn to listen to their advice. Now, understand it is advice, but it's going to help you as you're trying to discern God's will for yourself. We do have a wonderful God. Now I know this is a longer message and it's probably not the most pleasant of topics but yet I think this is necessary. People don't know that this is in the Bible that husbands have a responsibility to their wives and wives have a responsibility to husbands. That's Bible. And there's a principle that we find in here that if you're going to be married take care of your wife take care of your spouse and serve God at the same time. If you're single, use your time wisely to there. But if you're single and you're doing everything right and get married, you haven't sinned, you haven't done anything wrong. But when it's all said and done, you need to find God's will for yourself. And you can. And God wants you to. Thank you for listening to this audio message. This is Pastor Scotty Bockhaus, and I encourage you to take this information that you just received and make a specific decision to follow after the Lord. If you don't know Jesus Christ as your Savior, let me beg you to take the time to receive Jesus Christ for the forgiveness of your sins. If you are saved, I encourage you to make a decision in your life to help you get closer with the Lord. If there's anything specific we can do to be a blessing or to pray for you, we encourage you. Look us up on the internet at riverviewbc.com. Once again, that's riverviewbc.com. Or if you would prefer to call us, you can give us a call at area code 920 530-6308. Once again, that number is 920-530-6308. If there's anything we can do to be a blessing or an encouragement to you, please let us know. We would love to make ourselves available. Thank you.